Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. You know, here's a question for you. Are you a millennial? Maybe you're raising a millennial. Maybe you work alongside a millennial. Do you have the tendency to put all millennials in the same proverbial basket? Do you really think they're all the same? I think it's time to embrace the millennial generation. I think it's time. Good grief. The millennials are starting to run major corporations, yet we still think of them as kids. They're leaders already, and they'll be training up the next generation, who is yet to go unnamed. As a Generation Xer, how do, that's me personally speaking, how do we interact with millennials and synergize our kingdom efforts in order to bring more people to Christ? Because it is really important the way the next two generations look at religion, look at work, look at the reality that we live in, they look at it differently. And we need to learn to understand them. And we need to learn how do we bridge that gap? Well, it is my goal. Martha and I set off the year. We said, this is one thing we really want to do this year is we want to reach out to more millennials with the I work for him message. We've had a re- done a really good job reaching out to people 40 and above, and we got a lot of people listening 20 to 40. Uh, but how do we get the right perspective? How do we find millennials that actually share, I work for him? They, they actually understand the faith in the work message. Well, I had the privilege in October of last year of meeting Grant Skeldon from the Initiative Network in Dallas. And I said, Grant, you got to do some shows with me in 2017. We need help. All of us need help understanding the millennials. Grant Skeldon, welcome to I Work For Him. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Well, no, I, I expect you to be a little bit more excited. Now you seem, you know, come on, don't, this is going to be awesome. I know you're like, oh, gosh, I got to deal with it. I got to deal with a you know, Generation Xer who's practically a boomer on the air. I got to teach this guy. This is what you do all day long. But before we get into what the Initiative Network is all about, I want to, from you personally, how would you like to see the Lord move and work in your life in 2017? Uh, you know, I just got recently asked kind of what would be your mission statement for life, and so this might be bigger than just 2017, but I, I really, I think what came very quickly, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is just really four things, um, maybe less. One would be just giving God more and more of my heart. Uh, two would be to try to unite the church Three would be to try to reform the church, and then four would be to normalize discipleship. <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing like shooting for the stars right from the bat. I, I, I love that, because those are some amazing 
Those are some amazing things. But take it personally. I mean, you said you want to give God more of you. What do you mean? Uh, I got to teach a uh, kind of an entrepreneur class in Uganda the last two years. And this last year, uh, the topic was how to be a leader. And I just started thinking, how can I translate this to Uganda and these high school and college students? And the thing that kind of got put on my heart was that uh, the best Christ uh, followers, basically the best Christian leaders here in the world, are ironically the best Christ followers. And so um, we just follow Christ that um, if we could truly give our heart to Him, or as Peter says, uh, like if we could decrease so that He can increase, then I just felt like you will ironically look like a great leader here on earth because His ways are so above our ways and his uh, thoughts are so above our thoughts. And so I think the thing that hinders us from becoming greater leaders or even just doing what God has called us to do is that we kind of start withholding some of our heart. Or I, I, I made a new friend in Dallas in October. His name is Grant Skeldon, and he's with the Initiative Network. And I said, Grant, you've got to come on I Work For Him. You've got to help us understand it. And Grant, I apologize for cutting you off, but you know, radio is one of those things where we just ran out of time. No, okay. And you had a really great point you were making, and I hated interrupting in the middle of it. But, you know, <laughs> we, but it's my job, I guess, because I, I, what you were saying was so true. But we were talking about just the work in your own life that the Lord – is doing and and what you want to see and you've said when i when i said okay hey what would you like to see the lord do in your life and you say here's the things i'd like to see in 2017 i'd like to give god more of me i'd like to be part of uniting the the church i'd like to be part of reforming the church i'd like to be part of normalizing discipleship i think i wrote that down pro- uh, properly those are phenomenal goals and that's what's really interesting about the next generation that's coming into the workplace is that you got huge goals and you're not you're not all caught up with, hey, I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30. You're like, no, there's some serious issues that need to be dealt with, and 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 I want to be part of fixed, working on those issues. I mean, that's really at the basis of your heart. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I do think that uh, the beauty of what the Xers and Boomers got to do with the whole halftime conversation of moving from success to significance in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, I think the beauty is I think millennials are kind of getting that um before they even go to college, maybe a quarter-life crisis, um, where they want to move what they've been told success is to significance. Um, But I think that's why it's so hard for millennials to decide what they want to do with their life and what incentivizes them with choosing a major or a job, is because it's not just what will provide, but it's also what, what am I passionate about and what will fulfill God's purpose in my life. Yeah, and what's going to make a difference? I want to make a difference. I don't want to wait till I'm 50 to make a difference. I want to... I want to make a difference now. Yeah. So talk to us about the Initiative Network. How did this come come to be? What's it, you know, let's just start. How did it come to be? You know, there was a conference that came to Dallas uh, led by a guy named Mac Peer and Tim Keller, and it was all about getting business leaders, church leaders, nonprofit leaders, and city leaders together because uh, they all have an invested interest in the city and the welfare of the city. And basically they really wanted to get millennial leaders involved and I honestly was just at the right place at the right time to be challenged in the right way to get millennial leaders that um, in my initiative taking millennial leaders because that showed they were serious about the relationship with God and God had been moving them to do something about it and they responded and so I just basically got 40 of my friends together to hear the vision and then within two months it was 
about 500 young adults through the networks of those diverse young 40 leaders. And what's your purpose? Tell me what your purpose is of the Initiative Network. Yeah, so I say that in response to millennials being labeled narcissistic, noncommittal, entitled slacktivists, uh, slacktivists being uh, activists only on their computer, we decided that we wanted to shift the culture of Dallas by making millennials Christ-loving, city-changing, church-investing, disciple-making, local missionaries. <laughs> Again, that's phenomenal. And it started out with you and 40 of your closest friends, and it's grown to hundreds and hundreds of people. And it's not just about Dallas anymore. I mean, this was Initiative Dallas at first, but now it's the Initiative Network. How right. has the Lord expanded this effort across the country? Uh, it sounds like from what we've seen is uh, there's a lot of business leaders and churches and parents that are struggling with millennials across uh, the nation and even the globe. So there's definitely a big market that, of people that we get to uh, plug into. The difficulty is just trying to, uh, trying to scale and replicate what we're doing in the model into other cities. Uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of potential. We just uh, that's what we're kind of focusing on this this year is how do we take it to other cities. But doesn't it just take a couple of leaders in another city that are passionate and totally relate to what you're doing and allowing them to use their network to do the same thing that you did in Dallas? Uh, I'd say I would say it's more though because it's not that hard to find a passionate millennial, um, especially I mean you could I, I know a lot of non-Christian millennials that are passionate. Um, and they're sure. not motivated by the gospel. They just want to do something that makes a difference in the world. But finding a millennial that is very connected and exposed to diverse communities, as well as has a huge honor for uh, the generations that have gone before them, as well as a huge uh, respect and involvement in the church because it is the hope of the world, that's when it gets a little more difficult. I always say I'm trying to look for the George Bailey in every major city and that's the guy from it's a wonderful life sure. he's the guy that if he never lived his city would look different so i i found that there are people like that but it takes some work to find those young leaders yeah finding those point people those people that are influencers that that's fantastic ladies and gentlemen what's amazing is that this next couple of generations they are not as interested in the american dream as they are interested in the the, the Great Commission. They're, they're, they want to make a difference. They see their lives as having the ability to make a difference, and they don't want to waste 40 years of work and then getting something done. They want to make a difference now. And because I'm part of you, I'm 50, I don't understand this. I've got a couple of millennials as kids, and I get my kids, but I don't get the whole generation. So I'm like, okay, we need some help. We need some professional help here. And I work for him. We need somebody with that perspective. And God ran me into Grant Skeldon in Dallas, Texas back in October. And I said, Grant, we got to do some shows. So as you tune into, I work for him today, understand that we're all learning this together, but there's some big goals out there and there's some massive opportunities that are unconventional approaches to bring in the gospel to people in your workplace, in your in your neighborhood, in your small groups, even in your church. And Grant's can help us understand some of those things. Grant, I, I really do appreciate you coming on I Work for Him today to share these things. Yeah. I'm, I really do think the faith and work conversation that you get to be a part of is like at the core of a attention that the millennials are going through. And so I'm very glad to be here. So let's just, we got people tuning in, you know, all the time after breaks. And, and let's just tell them again, the Initiative Network, what is your goal to do with the Initiative Network? 
basically to shift the culture of Dallas through making millennials Christ-loving, city-changing, church-investing, disciple-making local missionaries. And, and I want, so, and that's how it started in Dallas. And it was you and a couple of your closest friends said, hey, this is a passion I've got. I, I've heard this. I believe this. I want to make an impact. And that passion then grew to hundreds of people in the Dallas area. And Dallas is a big area. Dallas-Fort Worth is a big area. But now the goal is to spread that initiative network out across the country. So you're looking for millennials that really want to make an impact. What kind of millennials are you looking for to to, to partner with you in other cities? Uh, definitely uh, millennials that I would say are kingdom-minded instead of castle-minded. Uh, that would be someone that uh, sees other churches that may not be their church and think that's, a, that's part of my family instead of that's competition. Um, millennials that uh, really desire for there to be racial reconciliation, especially in the body, because... One day we're all going to be together, so why would we wait till God brings that about if He's free to do that now? And then um, I, I would say a lot of times it does require a young adult that's been discipled um, when they were younger because uh, it's just going to be really hard for a young adult to be a leader and to be articulate and to be mature unless they've received wisdom from and opportunities and been gambled on, I would say, by someone that's an older leader. So... Uh, that kind of limits it. There's, a, there's very few young adults that have been discipled, um, but I found the most mature leaders across the nation that I meet, uh, when they're very confident in their relationship with Christ and they can articulate that, it's usually because someone older gambled on them, invested in them, and uh, gave them opportunities they didn't deserve for their age. Hmm. That's powerful. And, and really, it's something that we have talked about in this show so many times, that everybody needs a Paul in their life, everybody needs a Barnabas in their life, and everybody needs a Timothy in their life. So we all need somebody mentoring us, discipling us. We all need an encourager, somebody that wants to walk alongside of us. And we all need to be mentoring and discipling somebody else that's down the line from us, because that's how the church was built was was that model yet it, the church as you mentioned one of the things you'd like to see god do through you in 2017 is reform the church and normalize discipleship it is something that we desperately need yeah can i ask you a question on it uh, yeah, absolutely did uh who who would you say is that person for you because i i'm i'm thinking for what you do and hosting and facilitating and even finding just leaders god is using across the nation um, what would give you the audacity to think you could do that at a young age? <laughs> so I'm ask the question again. So are you saying who is my mentor right now or who mentored no, me in no. the past? No, no, like who would you say was the first person to not only just believe in you, also invest in you, and how? You know, it, it was, boy, in, in this movement, it was, I mean, I was, that's a great question. I love that question. Let me just think about that. So it, my role being put in this, in 2006, I got exposed to the whole idea of the faith and work movement. I, I had gone 20 years of my career being sacred versus secular and living my secular mm. life in the workplace and, and living a very bifurcated life and being very, very frustrated. Wow. Uh, and then I got introduced to this whole idea, not at church, but through a devotional by a guy named Oz Hillman, and it started shifting my paradigm. And, okay. and so I got discipled by a guy that I didn't meet until 2013 just by his daily devotionals going, wow, holy smokes. And, and then I read Halftime, as you mentioned, Halftime earlier. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. there's something here. But again, I never got it from any pastor. I got it from all these people outside of the quote-unquote traditional church. 
Right. But as I was, I had this passion, I just realized, wow, there's so many of us Christ followers who are running businesses, who are influential leaders in the community, who don't get this. And I started just sharing, hey, here's practical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. And I was speaking one day at a small little gathering of 20 Christians that are business people. Hey, five ways to incorporate your faith in your workplace. And I sat down in the room next to the only person I didn't know because I'm a networker and I want to meet people. And she looks at me, she looks, looks at me and goes, Jim, you got to talk about that in the radio. And I look back at her and say, you're crazy. Well, it turns out she owned a radio station and it turns out she was serious. And it turns out it was an answer to very specific prayers as the Lord was laying it on my heart over a period of almost 10 years that I prayed, Lord, I want to lead a life of significance where my success can only be rated based on your work in my life and not on anything that is naturally Jim Brangenberg's talent. And I, when I un- understood and got the name I work for him, I said, Lord, okay, I get it. I can see how I can influence five, four or five Christian business people, but how do you get the message out to thousands? And this Good. was that answer to that prayer. So somebody laid it on me. Go ahead. I think that, I mean, for me, I, I, there is a video that you could YouTube if you put in my name, Grant Skelton, and it's when I was, the first message I ever preached, I was 16 years old, I got asked that morning, hey, will you share tonight at the Bible study? It was about 50 kids, and I hate it. It is terrible. I mumble the whole time. It is so bad, <laughs> but there is an older man that came back uh, to me after that, that night, and I don't know his name, and I'll meet him in heaven and thank him for all that he's did. But he saw something. I mean, he came up to me and said, son, I really think you should consider going to seminary and just becoming a, a, a preacher or a communicator of some sort, because you connect with your own generation. And and I don't know his name, but that meant something to me. And here's why. is I had other young people my age say, hey, Grant, you're talented, or hey, you, you're always like doing great things. And they'd just compliment me. But it meant so much more when I've seen a guy that's 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road He's seen people, and he's seen he's been around the block, and for him to say that meant so much more. And so, I think a lot of young adults don't have people that have done what I'll call like I see in you moments. Uh, someone a mentor once told me like we need to do that more. And um, if older people could do that for young people and say, I see this in you, um, it, it's so pivotal, especially if they're an expert of some sort in that field, like what happened to you. Well, I don't even know if it has to be an expert. It has to be someone that actually legitimately cares and they don't have an agenda. Hey, just sure. so you know, we're talking today with Grant Skeldon from the Initiative Network. You can find him online at initiativenetwork.org. And Grant, that's what I saw you in Dallas. You know, we're at this conference where, you know, it was my first faith and work conference. And, and I, I'm seeing old people up on the stage. I'm seeing middle-aged people up on the stage. I saw a woman or two up on the stage. But only you as a millennial, and when I heard your appeal that, hey, listen, we've got to get more of my generation involved in this, I'm like, absolutely, because I see it. I see it in my kids. My kids get it, but they grew up in my household. But mm-hmm. it is, and it seems like a lot of kids, 25 to 35, and I say kids, sorry, I'm 50, but it is, they get it. They get that there's a lot more to life than just making money, that it's not about yeah. the American dream. The American dream is not connected to Christianity. But it is, it's the discipleship model that has fell, fallen apart because the discipleship doesn't happen in homes as much anymore as it's supposed to be. Because we no, were all supposed to be discipled by our fathers. You know, that, yeah, that was supposed I to joke, be the impact. I joke sometimes this last two months saying that I came up with this new spiffy uh, campaign, uh, and it's, I made it up all by myself. It's called Make the Commission Great Again. 
uh, basically, <laughs> let's just stop forgetting like that. to make disciples. Because whenever we don't make disciples, we, we go, we baptize, we teach, um, but we don't um, go and make disciples and teach them to observe and obey, not just observe, but obey all that He has commanded us to, then we're making the Great Commission a decent commission. And that's not a commission that young adults are attracted to right now if they see that we don't actually buy into it. You got to use that as your tagline for the initiative network. It's got to be. That is fantastic. Make the commission great again. I love it. I know it's a play, a play on political words, but that doesn't matter because it is, you know, Jesus, you know, so far beyond spans politics, but it is so true. We've lost, not we categorically, but as a church in the United States of America, we've lost the passion for the Great Commission. And we've lost the passion for reaching people for Christ. And that's really what I work for him is all about. Getting you to bring your faith with you to the workplace and being intentional in praying for those around you and learning to love and to serve and befriend them so you get the opportunity to share what's going on inside your life because of Jesus. And, and that's the platform we've been given, but we need to know how to do it. And we need to, yeah. we need to have permission yeah. to do it. Yeah. So you, you had those four points. Again, I want to, you're looking for millennials that, that are, that are four things. And, and I, and, and that's what the initiative network is all about. I want to write them down so I don't forget them again, but just say them again. Those four, they're phenomenal things. That you say. Uh, which has to do with our intimacy with God. Uh, I think, Anyone that, especially in the faith and work conversation, uh, I think that how you can sometimes, I just feel like sometimes we can quickly find our job and we start defining ourselves by what we do instead of who we are. Right. And uh, if that job or that, if we can't do that ability anymore and it's taken away from us, then we don't feel like we know who we are. And we've just allowed too much of our identity to be in what we do instead of who we are in Christ. Um, so I see what we do as a bonus to who we are. Um, so the helping young adults who are searching for identity so hard, and a lot of times don't find it from maybe their father or their parents, um, to figure out, like, hey, if you're not starting with a relationship and intimacy with God, then the rest, I don't care if you're city-changing, church-investing, disciple-making, if you don't find your identity in Christ, because those things aren't even worth it if you don't have Christ. So first is that. Second would be... Uh, the city changing. So, uh, Wait, you just go ahead and get the other two, and we'll come back and hit these when we come back. City okay. changing, church investing, disciple making, and uh, church investing. We're talking today with Grant Skeldon from the Initiative Network. Grant, this is a co- a topic of conversation about what the initiative network is all about and really helping us as people who are no, not millennials, you know, I'm an Xer. We got boomers listening. We got traditionalists listen. And and we actually have people that are beyond the millennial generation listening as well. Kids that are teenagers and they don't really have a name for that generation yet. Generation Z, but that's very un, you know, really not very creative. Talk to me about, you said that you're looking for people in these cities around the country who are Christ loving city changing church investing disciple making millennials who have a passion for impact in their city yeah yeah and the the first one we talked about was christ loving the second one is a big one is city changing and a lot of times people that are christ loving aren't always city changing um in fact what i say about our program is that seminary tends to train pastors for church and our program trains uh, missionaries for their city and so 
Ironically, uh, you just kind of talked about Bob Goff. Uh, he's such an anomaly to me because he is 57 years old, I believe now. I met him uh, three years ago, and he is so interesting about him. He's 57, but his market is millennials. Millennials love him. It's not that that's all who listen to him, but young friends of mine love Bob Goff. And when I got to meet him and I said, Bob, how do you, how do you be a father, a husband, a pro consul for Uganda, a speaker, a writer, and a lawyer? And he said, I don't sleep. And I was like, what are you talking about? You don't sleep. He's like, seriously. And his, this was his three sentences that really impacted us. As he said, I want to die exhausted. We have eternity to rest. So until then, let's do things. And for me, I just, my friends, we had never seen someone that age that didn't lose the mission. I always get asked why young adults are leaving or abandoning the church, and I always say, why are older adults abandoning the mission? It's almost as you get older, you live safer, and that we want to see that love does, or that we can still change the city for Christ, and that it's real. We still believe it. Um, so that's a big part of the city changing pieces. Are you, are you leaving a fingerprint in the places that you come in contact with? Well, and that's really the danger with being a Christ follower in America, because it does, you do get more comfortable as you get older because you've accumulated wealth or whatever it may be. And honestly, you know, try to find that church in the community that is engaging the community and is challenging its church members to live way outside of their comfort zone every day, every Sunday, so that when they leave Sunday, they really feel equipped for their Monday morning mission field, that they understand that. And that's, that's, that's what we're trying to reverse influence the church to recognize, hey, you guys are supposed to be there for the equipping of the saints so that when we go into our mission field on Monday, we're ready to go and we're psyched. Because here's yeah. what I've seen as a 50-year-old guy, and I think I'd get Bob Goff. Maybe I'm not as exhausted as he is, but I think I could give him a run for his money, especially when I'm drinking <laughs> Mountain Dew. But the, what I'm passionate about is I have seen the impact of the gospel on a workplace. And I've seen the impact of my prayer life on a workplace. And I've seen the impact of my prayer life and the gospel on my neighborhood. And and I know I know it can make an impact, but I'm not sure that everybody that goes to church really believes that God has the power to transform our nation or our city or our neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think, why a lot of what we focus on is also unity, um, mm. is... I would say that we as alone cannot do those things. And so, right. uh, but uh, together, I always, I personally believe that the number one tool that the enemy uses uh, for the church specifically is division. Because, uh, I mean, if Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, then if I was the enemy, I would be like, man, I got to divide these guys up then, like by race, uh, religion, uh, by race, denomination, uh, age occupation, however I can get them to be in different quadrants. Of, so they are no longer the church, therefore they are defeatable. Um, They're just a whole bunch of churches. And in Dallas, we have around 4,800 churches instead of one. I mean, uh, just churches, unity. And when we do come together, which unfortunately a lot of times has to be because of persecution or because of a problem, uh, we become very powerful. See, I don't know that we're defeated as a church, 
we are definitely disabled. We're definitely disabled. handicapped because the the church is still. I even in churches that are struggling, I still see the miracles of God going on. You know, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we were one church until the 1500s, and now we're forty thousand plus denominations just in the United States of America. And so, I, your point is well taken that the enemy has done a really good job uh, of splitting and splitting and splitting churches. Martha and I lived in a small town of twenty two hundred people in southwestern Minnesota, and there were eleven. 11 different Lutheran churches because they kept splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. So uh, that point is well taken, but talk to me about what the initiative network is doing in equipping millennials to help bring unity to the church, to help reform the church, to help normalize discipleship. Because I know that millennials are screaming for discipleship. They desperately want people to invest in their lives with a Christ centered discipleship. I I hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, um, so our group, is 70, called 72. Our training program is called 72 based off Luke 10, when Jesus got the 12 to get 72 and disciple them to then send them out into, it said, every place and every town. So that's where we get young adults, or 72 basically, that we accept that are impacting seven different areas of culture. And that's where we take that every place and every town uh, very seriously. There's seven places of influence that uh, Francis Schaeffer and Lauren Cunningham kind of put together business education, politics, church, family, arts, entertainment, and media. And so these young adults that apply have to prove that they are impacting one of those seven areas currently and already. And then we accept 72 of them. They're from always at least 40 different churches. So they're very diverse when it comes to race, occupation, denomination, even geographically where they're placed in the city. And so over eight months, the goal is like basically building a family uh, among this group, and then uh, training them in those values of being Christ-loving, city-changing, church-investing, disciple-making, in unison together. And our hope is, after those eight months, and we see this happen a lot, is they're so close that it's kind of like the red pill and blue pill from the Matrix. You can't <laughs> do life with that many people from across the city that are impacting politics, architecture, uh, church, and um, urban poor, and then just say, you know, I'm just going to go back to them my regular homogenous life with the same friends that look just like me in this part of town. And, you know, I'm just going to show up to church every Sunday and that's it. Well, let's go back to, let's go go back back to that reference because you're talking about that decision that Neo had to make. Do I go back now that I've tasted real life? Now that I have tasted real life, do I want to go back and forget everything Mm -hmm. I've seen? Or do I want to go forward knowing it's going to be extraordinarily difficult? And, that's it's an incredible moment because he decides i mean the the matrix is such a great analogy for becoming a christ follower and for the battle that goes all around us don't get me started on that we could do a whole show one day on the matrix series but you know the malachi <laughs> brothers were were humble isn't it malachi isn't that the name of the yeah, something like that yeah this is something like, yeah what was that Ace, well, I think it was Wachowski brothers, Wachowski brothers, Ace, thank you, sir. All right, so, but it is, it is incredible, that choice. Hey, I don't want to go back to mamby-pamby, weenie-butt Christianity. I want, I have felt the movement of the Holy Spirit in me. I see the change that he can really make in my life. I want more of that. I have tasted it, and it is good. <laughs> you know, the unique thing about it, I didn't think about it, so you're kind of saying it is he actually what he would go back to if he did go back although it was fake it was a better life technically because uh, it wasn't like we're being ruled by machines but it just shows that he rather have real 
than fake, even if fake seemed better. And I think I think young adults for the one thing, all the negative stereotypes that we hear about them, the one thing we know that they really seek after raw, real, and authenticity. Raw, real, and authenticity. Hey, we're talking today with Grant Skeldon from the Initiative Network. Check them out online, initiativenetwork.org, initiativenetwork.org. And, you know, we've got a millennial that's my board operator. Uh, Grant, you got to talk to Ace when you were off the air. Ace, come on into the conversation for a second. Okay. Now, now Ace is, you're 27 this year, Ace? Is that what it is? Actually, I just turned 28. Uh, 28. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yet you and Grant share a lot of the same passions for, hey, I know that there's a lot out here to life, and you've gotten the opportunity to preach, just as Grant has gotten the opportunity to preach. What is it about life that totally excites you, Ace, that makes you go, I don't want what I've seen in the mamby-pamby, weenie-butt Christianity. I want the fullness <laughs> of Christ that's out there. Man, I, you know, that's a great question. I think for me, something that I have found even in my uh, short time of preaching and studying, but even before that, when I was helping teach Sunday school, something that would just light my fire is when I learned something in my studies that I was like, man, that's profound, because then my natural reaction when I learned that was to share it with other people. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to say, hey, Jim, listen, I was just reading something in Matthew yesterday, and I, th- I thought this was very profound. I wanted to share it with you. It was it was something that I just wanted to be able to share with other people because it excited me. I enjoy that aspect of my faith. And now, as part of my calling, is being able to learn these things when I'm studying and then share it with other people. Grant, if you want the first contact in Tampa Bay of the millennial generation that wants to be part of a movement like yours, you just talk to them. Ace Andrews right here at uh, Faith Man, Talk AM 57910. Thanks for sharing that stuff, Ace. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Grant, it, it is that passion when we have tasted the Lord and seen that it is good and seen that the Holy Spirit really does have power. I mean, I, I don't know about you, Grant, but you're, you're a little younger than me, but I went to church for 30 or 40 years, and the only time I saw the work of the Holy Spirit when I was outside of the building, because inside of the building, they never let the Holy Spirit move. They, yeah. it was, everything was scheduled and, and, and had breaks and had a timeline and an outline, and there was no room for, you know, random acts of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, I always point out that uh, Jesus only did 41 miracles in his ministry. And only two of them were in the temple, and the rest of them were in the world. So uh, there might be something to where God really wants to do His miracles and His work and enrich His people. You know, and we've, we talk about Jesus, of course, a lot on this show, and we talk about His ministry, and we talk about the fact that Jesus was a marketplace leader. I mean, Jesus spent 30 years in the marketplace, and He had a phenomenal reputation for excellent work, and... Because how we know that is because what is not said, you know, they always, they identify, oh, isn't that the carpenter? They didn't say, oh, isn't that the lousy carpenter that made lousy chairs or lousy tables or built lousy houses? We don't know what he built, but they talk about, they never rip his reputation. Never once. Hmm. He was known for excellence. And he only did those two miracles in the temple. I think number one, to show he had, he had dominion over God's house because he was God. Uh, And I think he, I think he just really was ticked off at, religious leaders he just wanted them he just wanted to put them in their place that's my interpretation that is probably not at all biblical but when you look at we got about a minute and a half before we go to break when you look at how you want to influence this next generation the millennials that are taking leadership positions in cities across the country how can we get them involved 
Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as giving ownership. And and I know that's like, of course, a young adult wants ownership. But with a minute and a half, if you think, oh, man, the disciples are, I mean, young adults are punks. I always say the disciples are punks. Like, they're arguing for the left hand and the right hand of the father. Their mom tries to argue for them. Uh, they're cutting people's ear off on the last days. Like, they're falling asleep when they're supposed to be praying. Um, so this Jesus put up with a lot of mess. Matthew seventeen seventeen red letters, never going to see it on a coffee cup. But Jesus said, oh, how long will I have to put up with you people? <laughs> Grant, we're running out of time, but we've got about five minutes left. So I want to just, let's hit it. We'll hit it fast. It's 2020. We've gone three years from now. It's 2020. Mm-hmm. The Initiative Network has trained uh, another four or five groups of 72. You now have people across the country. What kind of impact is being made because of the intentionality of the Initiative Network? You know, you, you mentioned the Generation Z. Um, I, from what I'm starting to see, I think they're starting to name, like how we're, we're technically millennials or why, but they're being called uh, millennials. Uh, I've heard Z is being called the digital generation because they've grown up uh, with the cell phone and with technology their entire life. Uh, I think that we are massively missing having conversation around the Generation Z. And what I don't think we need to do is just now focus on Generation Z and the tips and tricks on how to reach them. I think we just need to make disciples. That's it. Like, I promise if we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, then we'll always reach the next generation. Because like Billy Graham said, uh, the methods always change, but the message always stays the same. And so if we start discipling millennials now, and we must disciple millennials now, or we won't have millennials that can then disciple the Generation Z. Because if seven out of ten young adults are leaving the church, and that leaves three that are sticking around right now, that's not enough people to disciple this next generation. Um, So it's going to massively impact the direction of the Z generation. And that, I think, is what we're trying to put more urgency around. So I think this will hopefully set new role models. So First Timothy 4.12 will come to fruition more in the next four, I think you said three years, because now we'll have people that don't let others look down on them because they're young, but they set believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. You, what you hit on there is something that is such a passion of mine. Because discipleship, people get all freaked out about discipleship, that it's this complex, that it's a formulatic kind of, that you, that you approach it with a formulaic kind of approach. But that's not at all. <laughs> what did Jesus do? As you said, how did you, well, how did you describe the disciples again? What did you call them? The disciples? Yeah. You, you uh, called them like goofballs, but you use a, a more millennial oh. word. Punks. Okay. You, you, okay. So the disciples were punks, and I would just call them goofballs. I mean, you look at, they're, they're, you're talking, Matthew was probably the only one that had any kind of education because he was handling the books for the Romans, but the rest <laughs> of them were just average people. And yeah, yeah. It, it, so, but what did Jesus do? He just invested his life in those guys. Yeah. And, and he shared truth with those guys, and he lived out truth around those guys, and, and he demonstrated that truth was truth. And discipleship is, it's not about quality time, it's about quantity time. And it's about, you know, because we have so many kids being raised today without a father in the household, and certainly without a godly father in the household, it's it's that intentionality. One guy can disciple four or five other guys. One woman could disciple four or five other women. 
You can, it, but it's it's just feeding your life into them. And it, you're right; it's going to transform our country if we do it because pe- the enemy is very rapidly advancing his discipleship methods. He's doing it. He's yeah. discipling them every day on TV. He's been doing it on TV Absolutely. and on the internet. He's, he's great at it. Now, every day that we decide not to disciple the younger generation, we're allowing culture to do that. And unfortunately, culture is no longer telling people like it did maybe 40, 50 years ago that we should, just because we should, be morally good people. Now, if you are doing what is morally good, you're actually criticized. <laughs> yeah, that we've seen. That we've seen. You're morally criticized and you're deplorable. But besides that, that's okay. It, what's phenomenal is the power of the Holy Spirit in this country and around the world, that he's got the ability to make an impact in your life and my life to invest in those people. And we we win. When we go up head-to-head against the enemy, we win those battles when we fight with the Lord. It's when we try to do things on our own with our own power and our own energy, it, it, we, we lose every time because we're not, we're not supernatural. Grant, you yeah. got 20 seconds for one final word. How can people get involved in you with, with the Initiative Network? Uh, you know, one big way is uh, let us consult, let us speak. Um, we are trying to take this message of discipleship, unity, and uh, generations working together across the nation. And I think to just come and visit and see what God is doing across the nation would be incredible. Grant Skeldon with the Initiative Network. Thanks so much for being on I Work For Him today. It was a phenomenal conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeff. All right, like I said, find them online, initiativenetwork.org. If you want to find out more, get trained on how to engage the millennials, online, initiativenetwork.org. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. You know what? Ultimately, I work for him.